someone who was a client of mine years ago who is from Paris. We actually retouched base about seven or eight months ago. And he said, I'm so proud of you because I know you said when we were working together in 2014 that you wanted to learn French. How's your French? And I was like, oh, I'm doing a challenge. I'm focusing on it. And he said, I'm going to talk to you once a week. We're talking a busy world traveler businessman who just said, I think it's so cool that you want to do this and I'm going to help you. So we talk every week for 30 minutes. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 127. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hey there, language lovers. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I am here as always with Benny Lewis for a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. And in this episode, we are talking to Honore, who has taken part in several Fluent in Three Months challenges with us. So why don't we just jump right in and let's start with where you started with your language learning journey. Well, a little known fact about me is that when I was seven or eight years old, I was trying to learn Spanish. We lived on a university campus in Athens, Ohio, which is not, you know, Southeastern Ohio is not the Mecca of multilingual multilingual folks, except Ohio University is um, one of the places that students come from all over the world for different programs. And so we lived in a dorm and people were speaking different languages. And I thought I'm going to teach myself Spanish, but I got in trouble because I was doing it after I was supposed to be asleep. And that's really where my language fascination began. And I did what most people do, which is mean to learn a language for my whole life, right? So I, I was fascinated with languages. I was always interested when I would hear an accent, I would ask where someone was from. If I didn't know, I would ask how to say hello and goodbye and how are you in their language? It never stuck and I never made the time for it. Um, until a couple of years ago. So how did things develop from there? Like how, how did things change from that experience you originally had with Spanish to languages a few years ago as an adult? Yeah, so so my name is French, Honoré is French. And so a lot of times people would be uh, meeting me and asking me about my name and then asking if I would speak French and I would say no. And so then I put on my goal list as a goal-oriented person, I would say, oh, I want to learn French. I'm going to learn French. And then I discovered a, a book that you both might have heard of called Language Hacking French. And I discovered the Language Hacking Podcast. And as a business person, and as someone who teaches efficiency and is, is studies efficiency, right? I was like, oh, this absolutely makes sense. Learning how to say um, water buffalo is not helpful. <laughs> right? Learning, learning the words that they teach you. And I did take French in high school and we all know how that turned out, right? I don't have to echo that story that everyone experiences. Um, learning vocabulary in textbook format was not effective. It didn't help me to communicate with someone. And when someone would speak to me, I would have that deer in the headlights look, which is like, I know what I want to say. I have no idea how to say it. I might've learned how to say it three years ago, but now I can't recall it, those sorts of things. Language hacking made a lot of sense to me because it seemed like a logical way to decide what it was I wanted to say and then learn how to speak that. And I didn't have to read it or write it or any of those things. I needed to be able to say what I wanted to say and then be able to communicate to someone that if they would slow down by a lot, because it's the French people. (laughs) 
right? That I might be able to communicate with them in that language. And then as I have progressed through the challenge, the challenges, I've gotten better and better and better, which once you start to get better, at least for me, once you get through that ugly first phase where your brain is just like skipping, then it started to become really fun for me. So now that you've done a few challenges, you know, your French is at least at the intermediate level. And this is kind of a big hurdle for a lot of different language learners is getting through that. So what are some of the things that now that you've transitioned into that phase of your learning that you find are working for you to help you continue to make progress in French? Great question. Um, So a couple of things. One of them is, well, let me back up. Let me go to decision zero for me, which is when it gets hard as someone who is old enough to do things easily. Um, I don't necessarily like the ugly, um, awkward part. So I had to make a decision that I wanted to push through that to see if I could get to the other side to prove to myself that I could get to the place where I still want to get to. I'm not there, Shannon. I can't have this conversation like this in French with you, but I will. Call me in a year because we're going to do it. But I had to decide, am I going to just go this far and then am I going to cut bait or am I going to keep fishing, right? Am I just going to be in the process? So I decided I had a conversation with myself. I was like, you got to get serious because there's a limited amount of time. And do I want to spend my time learning? Yes, I've always wanted to do it. Okay, I'm committed to doing it. So if I'm committed to doing it, then what am I committed to doing? And then for me, I loved, I love listening to both of you because you always give me those hacks, right? The things that make the difference. And so there are two things I can do, rain or shine, you know, snow or what sleet, right? I can listen to Pimsleur for 30 minutes, do that one lesson a day, and I can do drops. And so today uh, I'm at 276 days consecutive of drops. My previous streak was 190 something. And then I missed two days. It's like, oh, I was so upset. But I thought I'm just going to make it five minutes because it used to be 15. It's like, well, finding 15 minutes to do vocabulary, sometimes challenging with all of my, you know, things. We all have a list of things. We all have the same 24 hours, right? So for me, I have a time when I listen to my Pimsleur and then I have a time when I do my drops. And sometimes it's with one eye open at 10 o'clock at night where I'm like, I just got to finish my five minutes. I just have to get it done. But those are the commitments that I've made to myself. And then what I have is I still I'm still in the ugly part, right? For anyone who's listening and they're like, I'm not in the point where I understand as much as I want to. My comprehension isn't as good. When I have free time, I've learned to enjoy not understanding what I'm watching. So I'll put on a Netflix series or something like that. And I just, I'm listening to it. I think it was Elizabeth who suggested you do it 20 times. So I'm, I'm watching Lupin like 20 times. I think I'm on time four. And every time I think, Oh yeah, I've got this. Like I'm in, I'm in, you know, I'm at the next level. This is going to be great. I turn it on. I'm like, Nope, (laughs) still, still, still not there. But can I get a little bit more? Can I do a little bit better? So for me, those are the things. It's the decision to decide to do it and the consistency and then following through on the consistency, even when I'm sick, busy, on vacation, like whatever. I just still make the time to do that because it's important to me and I gave my word to myself. So as well as being a challenge participant, you've got your own brand and you've given your own TEDx talk and you dive into a lot about efficiency. 
So I'm very curious to hear what overlaps from what you already were aware about efficiency in general uh, came into language learning and especially the concepts of language hacking that you may have picked up from the language hacking French book. So what, what did you already know? Uh, what was elevated by what I might have mentioned in the book? And then what did you learn about efficiency in language learning that you may not have been aware of before? Oh, that's also a great, great question, Benny. <laughs> You've done this before. Um, so as far as teaching efficiency, one of the things that I would teach folks, you know, busy professionals, is that you have to make the decision to do things in spurts. And I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro method. And then also when you come to a fork in the road, you have to make a decision. Am I going to go on Facebook and scroll or am I going to do my language learning, right? Am I going to make those follow-up calls or write my book or am I going to um, do something else that is more fun and less stressful or whatever, right? Moving me in the right direction. So language learning really had me drill down and add one more thing to my calendar and add on the complication. And I think this is important. I'm an incredibly private person, but I have been going through a personal challenge in my life. And I decided to lean into my language learning because I decided that it could be a place for me to be suspended, right? So efficiency was making the decision to do it when I had other things that I could do. Um, leaning into language learning, it, it's kind of like, um, what else is something when you do it? Maybe you can help me with this. Um, you can't think about something else. You can only think about one thing at a time, like maybe yoga, right? Holding a yoga pose. Um, there are certain things when you do them, you can only focus on it. I can only focus on language learning when I'm language learning. And so when I needed a respite from stress and sadness, I would say, well, now would probably be a good time for me to do an extra 10 minutes of drops, or it would be a good time for me to listen to some stories, right? Because I would get the, the physical version of a book or the digital version of a book and listen to the book being read. Because my hitch, I think, in comprehension sometimes is I look at a word and I don't know how to say it, especially the plural, right? So I'm like, how do they how do they not say half this word and still say <laughs> still say this word? And so for me, I made the decision, right? It always comes back to the decision that when I found myself with time, I was going to focus on my language learning as opposed to focusing on what was stressful about what was going on or just taking the easy way out and asking myself the question is Honoré of tomorrow going to be proud of Honoré of today for making this decision or am I going to be bummed because I didn't make the right decision for me? Not that there's a wrong decision. So I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about this because I think it's really important and, you know, to varying degrees, we all kind of go through these moments in our lives that are extremely challenging and it's really easy for them to derail our studies, um, but you managed to kind of persevere through it. So you had mentioned that it had been a bit of a respite for you and, and you were able to kind of escape through languages during this time. But beyond the escape, you know, sometimes you need a little bit more willpower and things to kind of push through and commit to it. So what were some of the things that you did that helped you really stick with your studies beyond them kind of being a break from everything else going on? Uh, those scheduled conversations 
that I have with my tutors and my language buddies, right? So meeting other people who are a nerd for anything, right? Like your spouse, significant other friends, they only want to hear so much about your exercise routine, your work and your language learning. So if someone's not a a language learning nerd, I'm sure you know this, they'll talk about it for two seconds and then they glaze over. Finding a community of people that are really interested in it. And then also having someone who was a client of mine years ago who is from Paris, we actually retouched base about seven or eight months ago. And he said, I'm so proud of you because I know you said when we were working together in 2014 that you wanted to learn French. How's your French? And I was like, oh, I'm doing a challenge. I'm focusing on it. And he said, I'm going to talk to you once a week. We're talking a busy world traveler businessman who just said, I think it's so cool that you want to do this and I'm going to help you. So we talk every week for 30 minutes and he's actually helping me with one of my big my big, my BHAG, my big, big hairy goal, right, to achieve in French. Um, and so he's helping me to, to move me along in the right direction. So I can't just talk to him for 30 minutes and then talk to my language team for 30 minutes and then not do anything. I can't not improve, right? I have to continue to improve. Um, or then it's a, a waste of their time because I'm not helping them to improve if I'm not improving as well. So the, having the community is so incredibly important. And it's a place where you can totally nerd out on language learning. And no one wants to change the subject, which is really cool. As well as uh, dealing with your own challenges, you actually brought something that you already had was this, you had a confidence to speak in front of people because you've given a, te- a TEDx talk and that like speaking on stage. It's different. It's, it is different. It is different than a, like, you know, you can be blinded by the lights and technically not really see anybody and pretend like you're talking to yourself. Yes. But, but at the same time, it still requires a certain level of confidence. So do you think that level of confidence is something that would have helped your language learning? And for people who don't have any level of confidence, whether it's to to, talk, to get up on stage to speak in front of people or even to just approach someone and begin speaking the language with them, what advice do you give to people who struggle with that kind of confidence? Well, so two things. One is working, you know, your your success in anything will never exceed your personal development. So working on yourself and deciding that you want to get better at something. So we're back to decision zero, right? It's like, I want to get better at it. And the second thing is to realize, and this is such a cool thing to realize, is that when you speak to someone in their language, they freaking love it. Now, I live in a small town in Tennessee outside of Nashville, and so I think the population is less than 10,000. I was at the vet with my dog, and I hear this guy talking to two people only in French, and I turn around, and in my broken French, I just thought, you know what? What the heck? I get get a chance to practice, and if they don't like me and they don't want to talk to me, that's about them because I'm fun, right? (laughs) So I did. They didn't speak any English at all. They had come over because he and his wife were having a baby, and they're they lit up like a Christmas tree. They were like, oh my gosh, you speak French. This is so cool. And I'm like, very little French, very little French. Speak slowly to me. And I was able to say that. And we had a wonderful conversation, the three of us, and he's fluent in English. So he was bridging the gap. And it was amazing 
to do that. So if you don't have the confidence to speak, all you're doing is missing out on the opportunity to connect with someone in your target language, the language that you want to speak. And you, I have never had anyone other than a snotty American who minored in French in college get all up in arms about my French or my accent. I've only ever had someone I spoke to who said, oh, I speak French. I studied, you know, I got a minor in college and I started to speak. And she was like, well, I can't really speak to you until your French gets better. Actually, French people don't do that. <laughs> only only snotty American people do that. Um, so I have always found that people were very encouraging. And if I say I'm learning French, can we practice a little they're like, absolutely, let me know when you want to practice. Oh, I went to Belgium at my high school year, uh, my junior year in high school, and I still remember French, but I don't get to speak it enough. Let's have a, have a conversation. So I find people are very encouraging. And all you have to do is just find those opportunities to speak. And the more you do it and the better you get, the more you're going to want to do it and the better you'll continue to get. So you just mentioned a moment ago that the confidence you had to give the TED Talk was different than the confidence you need to speak your language. So I'm curious if you could go into a little bit more detail about how they are similar and how they are different. For me, any type of speaking that I do is always prefaced uh, or presented. I have to present it to myself that I feel like I have something valuable that someone wants to hear and I have to get out of my own way in order to do it. I'm a, an introvert. So when everybody was upset about the lockdown, I was like, woohoo, I don't have to leave my house. <laughs> so I wanted to stay home. I had to really work on my speaking skills and really connect myself to what the message was going to be able to do for the audience and that the message was coming through me. Not that it was about me, right? It's not about the speaker. It's about the message that the speaker gives to the audience. Um, However, once you build that skill and you don't have, when I didn't have, I'll speak from my own perspective, when I no longer had a fear of getting up on stage, like I, it's fun, I love it. It's actually kind of the best thing because if you're an introvert, then you don't have to introduce yourself to people, they already know who you are. <laughs> so you go right into having some rapport and relationship with people. Um, I have to remember that in terms of my language learning. As far as how they're different, Generally speaking, you're not going to be talking to lots of people and there isn't the pressure to deliver a message that is at least a little bit transformational, informative, um, if that makes sense. Right. So I think I think they're the same in that you have to just do it and just you have to work through the the kinks and get your get your sea legs, right? Get comfortable with doing it. Um, and how they're different is that you're, you don't have to speak in a foreign language uh, or in a target language in front of a whole bunch of people, at least to start. And even if you're doing the language challenge, right? When you're doing the language hacking and you're doing those first uh, group sessions where everyone speaks better than you do, right? In your mind, everyone always speaks better and comprehends better, that it's a, a loving community. Whereas not all audiences are loving. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there's not a hundred percent. Although for the most part, again, just like speaking in a in a target language, um, people want you to do well, right? 
audiences and the people you're talking to, they all really want you to do well. And they're hoping that you do well. They don't want to sit through a bad speech, right, on the audience side. And in language learning, they want you to improve your language and they want to help you to do that. That's why they're there. So during the challenge, you were saying that one of your greatest setbacks is your your the amount of time that you're able to put into things. And you were saying before that one way you do this is by accepting that even if you can't do 15 minutes, you can still find the five minutes to put into, into Drops and Pimsleur. Uh, so what other ways have you found, especially with your background in efficiency, to kind of hack your time and to make the most out of the time that you do have to effectively take on a project like language learning? Well, the thing I love the most about your process, Benny, about language hacking is that I can find the things that move the needle the fastest for me. And so once I find something, I heard someone say Pimsleur was a great way to go. And I had all the Pimslers already. I bought all the things on Audible, right? So they were already there. And so I remember listening, to, it, it was an episode, I think, of, of your, of this show, where somebody said, I just walk around and repeat the languages to me, and I'm in Central Park, and I haven't missed a day. I immediately started, I thought, that makes total sense, I can listen to and speak the language, and it gets progressively more challenging, and I just stay on top of it. Um one of the other things that I have done is li listening to a book and reading a book at the same time. So having both versions of that. And so for a long time, I had a streak of reading those stories, those short stories for beginners and listening to the story over and over again so that the language starts to make sense. And you don't realize that's how we learn songs, right? So I equated to how do I remember every song from the 80s? I heard it over and over and over again, right? And so that's how we learn a language is at some point the language becomes rhythmic and it becomes part of who we are. So when I'm finding I have a certain amount of time or I'm willing to commit a certain amount of time to something, I then ask myself, what's the thing that I need to be doing that's going to move the needle the fastest for me? And so I, three times a week, I go to the gym with my husband and I'm on the treadmill during that time. And so I'll have my AirPods in and I'll be reading a book and listening to the book during that 30 minutes. So I'm moving, which also I think integrates language, right? The, the, there's a word, I don't know what it is in English or any other language, right? It's the integration of all the systems where you learn something. And so I choose those times. And when I find that I'm going to actually have to leave my house to go to a meeting, I'm like, oh, that's when I can do an extra Pimsleur or that's when I can, um, do something right so and also the other thing that i do is i use net time from a from, from an efficiency perspective so net no extra time so if i'm heating up something in the microwave or someone's late for a meeting i always have my kindle ready i always have my airpods ready i'm always ready to do a drop session and i've just made that decision that when someone says i'm running 15 minutes late i'm like oh take your time <laughs> that's great I'll use it for my passion, if that makes sense. So uh, you just mentioned this a little bit in brief where you said that you'll look at what you can do to move the needle the most. And that's one of the things that I've noticed about you in the challenges is that you're really, really good at self-assessing and adapting what you're learning to focus on your weak points. Um, but how are you able to do this? So is there a method to how you identify what you need to work on? 
Um, I ask the people who are better than I am what it is that I could work on. And then I also know that I, I know that I can listen to things but I can't listen to other things, right? So I can listen to Pimsleur. I can listen to those short stories for beginners and and slow the audio down. I also know that fast spoken French is still above my reach at this point. And so then I ask the question, how how can I close that gap? What are other people doing? I'm always really interested in how do I get 1% better and then 1% better, and then 1% better. So I'm just paying attention, Shannon, I guess, is the real uh, answer to that. And then I'm asking questions because people have gone before me. And I, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a point in my life where I, if I can get there faster, better, easier, then that would be the preferred route (laughs) for me. (laughs) Right. If I can, if I could land myself on the streets of, of Nice or wherever and be able to just speak to everyone. And if someone could say, here are the seven things you need to do in this order every day for 27 minutes, I'd be like, I'm in, sign me up. Tell me what that is. Give me the recipe so that I can work with the recipe to customize it for me. So I, I have more questions for you. But uh, before we start the interview, you mentioned that you actually have questions for us. So I'd love to hear those questions. Okay. All right. So Pimsleur says, Pimsleur works most effectively when you do one lesson every single day, right? And they say it at the end of the beginning of every lesson. But I think I understand that when you're learning a a new target language, you study that language for more than one lesson every 30 for 30 minutes every single day. So I'm curious to know, because I haven't done this yet, I haven't gone rogue and listened to more than one Pimsleur lesson in a day, but sometimes I have time for that. So my first question is, how much learning is too much learning? Can I do more than one lesson in one day or should I diversify what I'm learning a different way? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in first on this. I. I like that they say that because I think that the biggest problem people have is not making the time and getting overwhelmed. And if the, if they had in mind that they would have to do like a quarter of the the course in one sitting, it would just be impossible. So I like that that that's their mantra because it encourages people to dip their toes in every day and that consistency is so much more important. Now, having said that, that's not actually a problem I face. I I don't face that lack of, oh, I'm going to make the time for this. For me personally, I learn better in bursts. So whenever I am doing something, I will do multiple lessons. Um, The the kind of things that I would do dipping my toes in uh, would include things like my flashcard studying. I will make sure I, I make at least a little bit of time every day for that. Um, but when I'm in an intensive language learning mode, then for me, this, it, it is going to involve going way beyond just the one lesson. So generally, I, I know the things I can do briefly with language lessons, um, and the course books I tend to use. I personally don't get much benefit out of using them in short bursts. I need to be going through them for at least an hour or so. The flashcard vocabulary study, that is something I can do if, you know, someone's running late, then I'll take my phone out and I'll, I'll browse that very quickly because 
I can go in and out very, very quick and still get some benefit out of learning uh, tiny chunks of vocabulary. But a lesson, I, I kind of feel I need more momentum. So I tend to actually go through, especially if they're short lessons, multiple ones at the same time. But like I said, I still like that philosophy that they have. Now, I, I personally don't end up using Pimsleur myself. So Shannon can kind of expand a bit on uh, both the question you had and how that implements with Pimsleur in particular. So for me, I take the guidelines for using a course as optional because really what makes a resource effective is adapting it to your own learning style and um, making it work for what your needs are. So the courses are designed for like the average person who's probably not so serious about language learning as any of three of us are. So, you know, they're built to be more casual, to be sustainable for someone who is casually learning. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not really a casual language learner. I'm a little bit more intensive than that. So what I do is I use the resources based on my time. And there's three strategies that I use. One is activity-based. And so I will base my language learning around a particular activity. So whenever I'm getting into my car, that's an activity that I tie language learning to. So I've got Pimsleur going on every time I get in the car. Sometimes in the, I'm in the car for half an hour. Sometimes I'm in the car for 10 minutes. Sometimes I'm in the car for two hours. And so I will try and use as much of that time as I can focus and I have the energy for, because that's also important, your mental energy, um, to do the language setting. Sometimes like when I have a gig out in Vegas and I'm making that four-hour drive, I have the willpower to listen to Pimsleur all four hours. Other times I do maybe one lesson, take a break, maybe go back to a second lesson or I'll do two lessons in a row. It depends on the day. And I totally tap into what my capability is on that day. Because if I try and push it, um, it's not going to be productive because I'm, it's not going to stick after a certain point. Um, so Pimsar, you're supposed to do the 30 minute lesson from start to finish. Um, and sometimes I'll do 10 minutes of a Pimsar lesson and then pick up pick it back up later. Sometimes I'll do two Pimsleur lessons in a row. I make it work for me. And sometimes that two lessons in a row means repeating the lesson. So if I didn't actually really take away enough from that lesson where I felt confident moving on, I would just repeat that same lesson. Other times I will move on. Um, so it just depends. And the same with Asimil and the other resources. Like Asimil, my favorite way to use it is to actually go through a whole bunch of lessons in one sitting when I have the time and attention to do that. And then I'll grab the audio and in my car, I'll play through the lessons until I stop understanding, make, make a mental note of where exactly that is, and then go back and review those lessons. Um, and then that way it kind of all works together and um, consolidating everything that I'm working on. Um, and, and again, with the course book, you know, I'm like, I typically am a completionist. So like, I want to do a whole chapter, um, but it's about how much time I have. You know, I have young kids, they interrupt me. So, you know, I may only get through two pages of a chapter before my son's like, I need your help with this mom. So um, it's, it's about where I can fit it in and how I can fit it in um, and adapting it to what I need and not what is prescribed by the resource, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. And did you have one other question? Um, well, it's one question with four parts, if you want to call it one question. I'll try to make it brief. It might be too much for our conversation today. But briefly, I, you know I write books and I help people to write books and I'm doing a book marketing course in English. And someone suggested to me that it would be a great idea to do it in French, which is 
so far beyond my capability right now. But I'm wondering if you have done something like this. I think you have, right, created things in different languages. And so when creating work assets in a foreign language, um, I just have a couple of questions that go underneath this. Like, how fluent would I need to be in order to start to create those assets? Who can double check my work? Is there a is there kind of a, a type of person that I should look for? Or um, is there any hack you have for that? Um, and then how fluent um, is fluent enough for me when teaching? Like, do I need to worry about being a B2 or a C1 or a C2 when I'm teaching something? Or is is the effort enough? Is the love enough? Right. Is is B2 enough? Like what's what kind of benchmarks do I need to hit before I can start to create something in a target language? Okay, well, I am at the moment in Brazil, and that same book that you found my content through Language Hacking French was translated to Portuguese, and I'm actually promoting it. Now, as well as that, I've worked as a professional translator myself. And one thing I will say is even with certified C2 levels in a language, I still would not necessarily create content that uh, I would be selling to people to consume in the language. I do create content in other languages. I've made viral TikToks in Portuguese as well. But I'm uh, when it comes to the things that I have presented to educate people, I've worked with a native speaker, even for languages I'm extremely confident in, uh, because the process of translation is a lot different than people think it is. And I know that from working as a translator, that you pretty much always want to use a native speaker, even if you're a C2 level at the language. It doesn't mean you can't then use the course that someone has helped you to create to help others. So like I did not create the Portuguese translation of language hacking French, but I'm going to be doing my book tour. I'm going to be taking questions from people about that book that I can expand on because obviously I wrote the original one. So in your case, I, I would say like if you can find native speakers, why, whether that's hiring somebody or somebody in your community who knows and loves what you do and is willing to work with okay. you. Like when I first started my blog and I wasn't earning any money from it, so I couldn't afford to hire anybody. The community helped me to translate my original ebook, The Language Hacking Guide. And so this right. was other people doing it, which then helped me get the message across to others. So um, that's my thoughts on, on this point. But what would you add to that, right. Shannon? Right. Uh, I would add that your level doesn't matter so much as long as you have a collaborator. I mean, it's you, there's people who have absolutely yeah. no level in the language who create resources in another language and then, you know, present them to others. So I wouldn't say that's necessarily a requirement, but it's definitely a benefit um, to be able to review the materials yourself and look through them and then, um, you know, have some understanding of what is there awesome. and make sure cool. it aligns with your original messaging in English, let's say. Um, one of the things that I do is I do have a collaborator and it's, you know, there are ways you could do it. It's like you could post on places and get corrections, but I feel like, you know, for a professional level product, you actually want someone who's invested in it and that, you know, 
covers all the legalities and, and you're paying for their time and things. Um, but having a native speaker collaborator, I feel like is a must, even if you are super high level, just because there's cultural nuances, there's all sorts of different things. Um, at my job, I have the benefit of actually handling all of the localizations for our regional languages and my level varies in each of them. So it's like Mexican Spanish is obviously the dialect that I speak. So I'm happy to like pop out like translations that we use um, in that language, Canadian French is another one. I speak uh, <laughs> European French. So um, I'm not so like, even though I'm right. totally fine writing a French translation, yes. I'd probably still run it by the local team just to make sure because I, I want to be culturally conscious of, of the content that's going out. And Brazilian Portuguese is a very new to me language. So um, I've done things where I've practiced translating the emails, but again, I will absolutely always have them checked by a native speaker before I hand them off as a deliverable. So um, it's, it, it depends. So what you're saying is I need to go live in France for two years. That's what you're saying to me, right? No, what I'm saying is you need to find a native speaker that collaborates with you on the project to produce the content. Shannon, that's not what I heard. I have to tell my husband what <laughs> they said. We need to go live in France for two years. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. My understanding is that the French love marketing, U.S. marketing, American marketing. And so I want to do book marketing uh, in French specifically. So that's, that's my big, it's a, I said it's a big, hairy, audacious goal and it really is, right? It's got a long, a long tail on it. So, um, I will take your advice and thank you very much for that. So I have a question for you then you had shared that you have a plan to learn five languages over the next 10 years. Can you share what those five languages are and a little bit more insight into that plan? Yes. So I want, so the five are French, Spanish, Italian, German, and um, Russian. Um, but I just um, am getting ready to publish um, You Must Write a Book in German. I got the cover like two days ago. And so I have a German friend now. So I'm like, oh, and I had tried, I did a language challenge just for those of you who are like, can someone do a language challenge and fail? Yes. This I am patient zero um, of that. I did, I did not fall in love with German as much as I have with French. And so I got, I went back to the easy hard language <laughs> for me, but now I'm inspired to kind of take my German on next, but I really want to do Spanish next because I go to a Mexican restaurant every week and I can speak Spanish there, but I really want to learn Italian because it's really pretty. So I'm totally conflicted <laughs> about what I do next, but those are my, those are my five. And I have the feeling that it won't stop. I will probably want to just keep going because it really is more fun. And the better I get, the, the, the more fun that it is. And I've just gotten comfortable with being in the ugly, uncomfortable phase, knowing that I'm just making a little bit of progress every day. And you've picked up a lot of tricks from your experience in the challenge. And uh, like one of them that you picked up was uh, you were a fan of language islands. So could you explain to people listening what is what are language islands and then how were they beneficial to you in particular? Yeah, so even in this course that I'm talking about creating, the like language islands are um, specific vocabulary and phrases that belong in a certain environment. So being in the kitchen, learning cutlery and dishes and cookware and recipes and measurements and things like that 
um, going deep in something um, in business, right? So I wanted to learn all the business phrases, um, getting into business words and and phrases and conversations and things that would be said. Um, I like that I can carve out a piece of the language and master a piece of the language and know that I have that. And then I can go on to the next thing. I love that drops wants me to learn about sea animals, <laughs> right? I'm not sure how handy knowing what walruses in French is going to be, but I did have a tutor for a while who said, you know, when you learn a language, like learn the whole language, like do everything you can to learn the whole language. So that now I've worked my way through the language islands, I think are helpful. And now I'm going back and learning all the rest of the, all of the rest of the words and then doing the dojo, which Shannon and I learned from you, which is all the words like in repetition, just to see if I've really gotten them. Um, so language islands allow you to learn the, it's like language hacking next level, right? So it's like, what is it that I need to say? What is it that I need to say about a certain topic? That's really helpful. So one of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests, given that this is the language hacking podcast is what is your definition of language hacking? Language hacking is deciding what language you want to learn and what you want to say in that language, and then learning that first and getting confidence in that so that you are inspired to keep going. Very well put. I like it. So we're going to make sure that in the show notes, there's links to all of uh, the projects that you've got and people can learn about um, writing their own book. And I really hope that you're able to uh, break through that French market and, uh, and beyond. And like, it's great. You've got this, this uh, master goal that you're working towards. And that's kind of uh, a great motivator. And I really appreciate you sharing your, your story with us. Well, it's been an honor to be with you. I'm a I'm a huge fan of language hacking. I'm a huge fan of both of you and Elizabeth, who is not with us. I so appreciate the community that you have created. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And until the next time, I wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. So at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to discuss something that we took away from our discussion with our guest. And this is something that's immediately actionable that you can try out in your own language learning over the next week. So Benny, what was your takeaway from our discussion with Honoré? Plenty of great takeaways, but something she said earlier on uh, that I really appreciated is if we're going through some kind of a difficult period in our life, um, it, a lot of our mental energy can go into stressing about that thing. And it can feel like something like learning a language or any of our personal projects are even more impossible because we're, we're struggling so much. But I like what she said that uh, she actually got a rest from her stress and from her sadness because language learning is something that especially when you're doing uh, uh, an aspect of it that's a, a bit more engaging, you can't really multitask. You can't be focused on a language lesson and be stressing out about the things going on in your life at that time. So it's it can be a very useful thing for people who are going through rough periods is to have a project, whether it be language learning or something else, 
that requires your energy because part of the problem, and I know this absolutely from my own personal experience of going through rough times, is you just get caught in your own mental feedback loops of thinking about how bad you have it. And you do need to distract yourself from that. And I really love that language learning was a big distraction for her and it was uh, implemented so well. So that was a very big takeaway. I really appreciated. What about you? Yeah, that was definitely something that I can relate to and something that I've done myself. So I can also attest to how effective it can be. Um, For me, my takeaway was what she said when I asked her about identifying her weak points and her answer was so simple and straightforward. It kind of, even though it was like almost the obvious answer, it still somewhat surprised me. And that was, I ask people who know better than me. And I love that because it's so, it's so easy to get stuck in self-assessment thing. I need to figure this out myself. Um, but you don't just ask the people around you, ask your tutors, ask your exchange partners, ask people who know the language better than you, and they will be able to tell you. And then it gives you something immediate and exact to work on. So I would say my takeaway is this week, ask someone what you need to work on and then work on it because that's the other part. It's one thing to hear what you need to work on. And it's another thing to actually go work on it. And I know sometimes I may be told what I need to work on. I'm probably most guilty of this in Russian and going, okay. And then not doing anything about it. So um, ask the people around you what you need to most work on and make it a point to go and drill down on that. All right. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. We had mentioned the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, which is a 90-day program where you aim to have a 15-minute conversation as a part of a supportive community. And you can find out more about that at languagehacking.com slash challenge. And until the next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Alice Semino, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.